Hi, I'm Jackie Tantillo, and this is Should Have Listened to My Mother. The New York Times feature Tiny Love Stories is one of my favorite go-tos on a lazy Sunday morning. In the style section, you can find the Modern Love column as well as Tiny Love Stories, true tales of love in 100 words or less. They sometimes take my breath away, regardless of the content, revealing the complicated mix of emotions in what we call love. Whether it's happiness, pain, loneliness, or fear, whatever encompasses love between two people, again, in 100 words or less. I'm excited to introduce my guest, who wrote a tiny love story in September 2021. She's a published author and journalist, penned two novels with a third on the way, won numerous awards, as well as a very successful advertising career. And uh, I've definitely used up my 100 words already, and there's still more to tell about her. So I'm just going to introduce you all to Lorraine Duffy Merkel. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. So I, like I said, I love tiny love stories, and it is such what is it, a, a tempest in a teacup. <laughs> it's a, a powerful punch and a little dose, and that's my mind, my imagination. It, I see a movie, and when I, I read your piece, I just thought it was beautiful. And I, Oh, thank you. Your writing, your talent, you obviously are, are extremely creative, so I'm hoping that you'll read Our First Days, your tiny love story that was in The Times. Oh, it would be my pleasure. In some pre-fall cleaning, I waded through more than 2,500 family photos. Only one made me cry. It wasn't the image of me in my parochial school jumper, but my mother's note on the back of that picture. October 1964, Lorraine, first grade, my first day of work. She became a single mother when I was two. After years out of the workforce, she returned as a telephone company operator. Many of the employees were younger. My mother must have been scared. But she did it for us, and in 1984, she retired as an executive at the same company. Oh, I get the chills. (laughs) You bet she was scared. Yeah. You know, um, it's... It's funny. It's funny where where wisdom comes from, even when it comes from some place where that you think uh, people might con- consider it silly. But I really kind of uh, got a handle on what her life must have been like when I was in, say, grammar school. Um, when I watched. Uh, I forgot what season it was of Mad Men. And they introduced a character named Helen Bishop. And Helen Bishop was uh, a single mother of uh, one child. And she had a job in in a jewelry store or something. And she did some volunteer work uh, for a political campaign. And she was partially envied, but also scorned 
by the Betty Draper crowd. They were all women who didn't work, and they totally relied on their husbands, and their husbands weren't always very nice to them. But from the outside, it looked like they had everything. You know, they had a husband, they had a house, they wore nice clothes, they went out to lunch. But still in all, they envied her independence, Helen Bishop's independence, and they covered up their envy by scorning her, her sad little job in the jewelry store. Oh, she's probably volunteering for some political campaign uh, to, to meet men, you know, that, like, they'd make snotty comments like that. And it wasn't until that, that came on that I thought that's maybe how the other mothers looked at my mother, who got up every day and went to her. She didn't work 9 to 5. She worked 8 to 4. And it, it kind of made me mad that maybe they were looking at her that way, maybe they were talking about her that way, because I think what she accomplished was just amazing, you know, in a time when being a single mother wasn't a thing. I mean, now when you say uh, people choose to be single mothers now, it's, it's, you're, not, you're not different. But back then, oh, my goodness, you were, you were so different. And she ended up becoming best friend. She had the same best friend for 49 years, which is a testament to the kind of person she is, the kind of loyalty she has. And uh, her best friend ended up, uh, she was a single mother, too. So they kind of found each other. And I have to say, but you know, both of them, but my mother in particular, were, um, you know, they, they were outliers. She was an outlier, and she was... She kind of bucked the system, and I remember one time I asked her about it, and she, her comment was, I did okay for myself, you know, and I, I thought that was a wonderful attitude to have. Well, considering the monumental obstacles she undertook on a regular basis, she rose to the occasion. She was being modest, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, that's, that's kind of her way. She, uh, right now, she's... She's 98. She's going to be 99 next month. Uh, she lives with my husband and I. My, my son and my daughter are adults now, so they've, they've moved out. And we take care of her now the way she helped me. She, well, she took care of me, and then she helped me take care of my children. My children didn't have a, a paid nanny. Their granny was their nanny. And it's, it's funny. Now she has, uh, she's losing her memory she sleeps a lot. I, ha- I have to admit it. She has, she has dementia. But it's strange because my memory of her is that of being a force of nature. Um, she, just the way she went back to work uh, after being out of the workforce, I think about maybe uh, seven, seven years, and, um, and then becoming a mother at, at 36. So I remember her, I overheard her uh, when she went to sign me up for grammar school telling, I think it was one of my aunts, you know, she was, when she had me when she was 36, so she, uh, she must sign me up for school. She was about 42 or so. Um, and uh, so many of the other mothers were like 22. So right there, you know, she was um, she was an outsider right there, 
And then when I was in first grade and she, she uh, that's when she went back to work, um, you know, it was kind of an, uh, an entry-level position, uh, the operator job. And so all her coworkers, the other mothers at school were younger, her coworkers were younger. But, you know, she was a, a very hard worker and, again, a force to be reckoned with. So she, she rose up through the company. And uh, as I said in the piece, she retired as an executive. Can you tell us your mom's name, this force uh, of Ange- nature? <laughs> oh, and Angelina Duffy, but her nickname was uh, Margie because there was a. She was born in 1922, and when she was a little girl, there was a song. It might have been by Al Jolson. I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, called Margie, and. She liked that song, so she would always dance to it, I guess, when it came on the radio. So my grandfather started calling her that, and it just stuck. You've written about your mom on a number of different occasions back in 2015 and just recently in in March of 2021. There's got to be quite a tight relationship between you two. Oh, yeah. I always, uh, my my, my go-to phrase is, together we could fight over anything uh, or stand up to anyone. <laughs> so that's, 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 great. that's who we are. She's very headstrong, so I think I got that from her. So we can argue. We do argue. Uh, we have, sometimes I think we take different positions just, just to do so. Um, but then when, you know, if somebody comes at one of us, it's, it's always two against one. So you, you have a lot in common, and yet you butt heads at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think my, my life was a lot easier than her life. She's a, a member of the greatest generation. She saw the Depression. She knows what uh, poverty is. My father uh, left our family, and so she she had to go it alone at a time when that was not considered uh, normal, I guess. And, uh, you know, she, she did all that so my life would be easier. So, and, and my life definitely is. I don't think I could have done uh, what she did. Um, but, uh, you know, there, was, there are things, uh, she, was, she was, because she had to be both father and mother, um, she was she's was much stricter than uh, I am with with my children. You know, like with curfews and and things like that. But sometimes I do I do find myself saying things to my children that she said to me, and I don't know. I guess you just uh, take what you like and leave the rest. <laughs> I like that advice. Well, especially when you start having your children of your own, right? You're like, well, I'm not going to do it that way. But often yeah. I find that, man, they were really smart. Maybe I should have listened a little bit more. <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, you know, she she was very strict with me, and, and I did uh, toe the line. And uh, I was kind of, I don't want to say a goody two-shoes, but I never got in any real trouble uh, because I always had to be home, you know. When I look back at it now, I, I just say, you know, and for, for a long time, I guess during my teen years, I, I felt like I was missing out 
you know, what it was it they call it now FOMO. You know, I always had this fear that I was going to miss out because um, because I had a stricter curfew and 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 such. But when I when I look back now and I think, thank goodness, I, I can't look back and say that um, I got in a lot of trouble or I hung with the wrong people or, or anything like that. And that's, that's because of her, you know. Can we go back a little bit? How, how old were you when your dad left? Two. So you probably don't really have an idea of what she was going through emotionally and mentally. Absolutely not. And even, um, and I guess when I was growing up, uh, not having a dad was normal to me. And I just thought we were, and we lived with my grandmother. And so I just thought we were, this was, this was, that was my normal. But I do remember she was very, she was very intense. She needed just everything to, to go according to plan. And I, I see now, well, at, um, when, when I got older and, and, she would reveal things to me. Uh, she would say things like, I was holding on by a thread. Because I remember I said to her once, I said, you know, when I, I, I was in grammar school, I thought you were insane. You know, like the, the least little thing, like if I spilled milk, you know, you, would, you, you seem to like lose your mind. Well, she probably was on the brink of snapping for emotionally, let alone the, it's hard. It is yeah, hard. absolutely. And that's when she said to me, she said, I, I, I was holding on by a thread. And, um, you know, you don't understand that until you have your own children. And you're, you're operating off of fear all the time. And uh, are they going to get hurt? Are they, is the teacher not going to like them? Is another kid in school going to pick on them? You know, and so on and so forth. And, of course, I had a husband who I could... Um, say this happened in school today, or the teacher told me this, or he wouldn't do his homework, or she did this, and and you know he could kind of talk me, talk me down off the ledge, mm-hmm. and uh, um, but she she didn't have that, you know. So what was her relationship with her parents? They were a very close knit family, and she's one of thirteen. Um, so, and the sisters were all, you know, they all kind of hung out together. So when, when my father left our family and she, she wasn't working then, uh, we moved in with my grandmother. So, um, there, there was something that kind of we, we repeated, which was my, my granny was my nanny and, and my mother became the nanny to, to my kids. So that that's kind of what I knew. That's uh, nice. So that, that's wonderful. That's why, yeah. So that's why I, I I repeated that that pattern, um, and so they they had what I had, and you know I used to say that my husband and my two children and myself we were the four musketeers. But uh, even though she she didn't live with us, she when my second child was born in 1997, um, she left. She sold our house in the Bronx, and she moved across the street from me. So even though she didn't physically live with us, she was always here. So so they grew up seeing her as the, the fifth musketeer. Oh, that is so great. 
that's a special, special bond. It, it, it is. And um, in uh, Rachel Ray's uh, magazine, or, well, it's online, the online magazine, I wrote about how Thursday night, during all of grammar school for my children, Thursday night, we ate at her house. Because she used to eat dinner with us at, at my house. But Thursday night, I think it was because it was a long day. Um, as far as my children were concerned, uh, after school, both of them had activities, and then I had to pick them up from both their activities. And, you know, coming home and then cooking, it, it would just be too much. So we would just go to her house. And um, I, I wrote about all the things she used to make. Um, and in her, in her little galley kitchen, uh, she would she would make uh, you know a feast for Ben her cast of thousands, and uh, and that was our Thursday night. And in the Rachel Ray uh, magazine piece, I wrote about how she she can't remember the recipes anymore, and um, we never wrote them down. So we had to. Uh, my son and my daughter and I, we had to re recreate them from memory, and uh, we would feed them to her, and she would kind of give us the, the thumbs up or thumbs down as to whether they, they tasted like, uh, like anything familiar to her. Now, you have to tell me, because my mouth is already watering, what were some of these dishes? Oh, she used to make um, uh, potato coquettes. And that was a, a recipe from my, my grandmother, um, who also never wrote anything down. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the, the recipe that was in our, the magazine was this, this one-dish chicken recipe where she just used to put the potatoes and the vegetables. Uh, the chicken went in first, and then that cooked halfway, and then all the, the vegetables and potatoes went in with uh, strips of bacon over the top, and then that cooked the, the rest of the way. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, it was, it, it's, just, it's just amazing. And we actually, we ended up, the three of us, my son, uh, Luke, and my daughter, Megan, we ended up, um, you know, fighting the whole time over, over whether the peas go in before the carrots <laughs> or, or whatever. But um, we made it, and it was it was a success. And also, her macaroni and cheese was just something out of this world. So those those kind of were the the top three. But I mean, she was a wonderful cook. She could sew. Um, her actually, the telephone company when there was only one uh, was her second career. Her first career was uh, out of high school was as a seamstress. And uh, she used to make me the most beautiful thing. She used to make things for herself. She made things for other people. She's a very uh, talented, creative person. Decorating was a big thing. We didn't hire a party planner when, or event planner. When I got married, she did the whole thing. People still talk about it. You know, when I see relatives I haven't seen in a long time, they still bring up the food at my wedding, you know, and it's, it's all her. The list goes on and on. Was she social? Did she ever date? Uh, no, she did not. In fact, um, she and my father got back together when I started high school. 
he he um, he had moved out of New York, and then he he wanted to come back, and he didn't live with us. He actually lived with his family, his sister, her husband, and my three cousins. They had an extra room, so he lived there. But they they dated. He died when I was a sophomore in college. So they had those six years together, so she was social there. But uh, they they had never divorced. Um, wow. They were only separated. So they did they did get back together. So his, his last years, uh, she got to have her, her husband back. And uh, she was happy, and I just kind of followed her lead. And, um, and I, I embraced the idea of having a dad. And it kind of hit at the right time because um, in high school, uh, my high school was different than my grammar school. So, you know, in grammar school, I was uh, one of the few people who didn't have a dad. And when I got to, when I got to high school... Um, I kind of shed that, I don't know what to call it, that that wasn't my... my. It wasn't your moniker, your title. That didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Single kid, no dad. Yeah. Oh. And then um, when when he, he died when I was in college, and then I just became a person whose, whose father had died. So really it was my grammar school years where the um, that, that kind of stigma of, you know, a single mother, kid without a, a dad. That was, I guess that was the stigma back then in the, the, the 60s and then early, early 70s. But then once uh, I went to high school and, and college, that wasn't my, you know, she was just a widow. She had a husband when I was in high school, and she, she became a widow when I was in, in college. Did she ever go and knock on the door of some parents of a kid who had been bullying you or teasing you about not having a father? Was she that kind of a mom, or she was more complacent and said, "Don't, we're not going there." Um, well, no, nobody. Um, I don't think anybody ever picked on me for that reason. Well, let me put it this way: if if the, they were dividing the world into givers and takers, she would definitely be a giver very helpful, just a very kind person, but she also grew up in Italian Harlem. She was, as I said, a member of the greatest generation. She was also one of 13, and half of those siblings were brothers. So she, she was not a delicate flower, and she... She, as, as nice and kind and uh, polite as she was to people, she, she had an edge to her, and I think people uh, would think twice before they ever made a comment to her or to me. <laughs> so don't mess with Angelina? <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, you could, but, but you, you know, you're going to get back worse than you gave. So it, it just behooved you to stay on her good side. And she never went to college? She did not go to college. She went right from, um, actually, at the time when she graduated high school, what 
most girls did was, um, unless you came, I think, probably from a rich family, what, what the thing was is you graduated high school and you got married. And she said, I'm not getting married, I'm going to work. Because she wanted her own money. She wanted her own say over her life. And the way you have that is, is with money. And what, what you had asked me before, did she knock on doors and say, don't pick on Lorraine? She, what she would do, her, her way was more to say, you know, if I say, oh, somebody said this to me or somebody did that, she'd say, well, stick up for yourself. You know, that's what she wanted me to be, was somebody who, who stuck up for myself. And not only that, but also take care of myself financially. Um, when uh, when I turned 16 and, and I asked her what I was going to get for my, you know, my milestone birthday, she said, working papers. And so, oh um, <laughs> and so we lived in the Bronx. Uh, we live in an area um, where the main thoroughfare is, is Fordham Road, and that's where all the stores were. So I, you know, I, I walked up and down Fordham Road and went into the stores and had, uh, I think, like three job offers, and I, I, I picked one because uh, that's when you could do that. Uh, you didn't have to apply online. There was no online, and... Uh, uh, you just walked into a store and said, you know, need anybody? And were your friends doing this too, or was it because your mom was single and she wanted you to learn this work ethic, et cetera? Um, well, I didn't grow up in, a, in an affluent neighborhood, so um, uh, getting getting a job was not um, was not unheard of. But I think I was one of the first people to. To have one when I turned when I turned 16. What was one of your first jobs? Do you remember? My very first job was as a supermarket cashier, and then I worked at uh, a store. It was very famous for a long time. It was called Lomans. Um, uh, it was kind of the, the TJ Maxx of its day. You know, it was uh, really nice clothes at a an, an off price. Moments is so, great. Yeah, <laughs> I worked there, and uh, I worked at a couple of uh, the smaller uh, boutiques on on Fordham Road, um, and yeah, just you know, in and around my neighborhood. It wasn't until college that I, I when I did you know internships and stuff that I I, I went into Manhattan. Well, I could just talk to you about your mom, Angelina, forever, let alone (laughs) the whole setting in the Bronx. And I haven't even gotten into your writing. Wow, just so neat. So maybe we could have you back again and we'll continue the story. How's that? I would love that. Thank you so much. It's really wonderful. Can I I just add uh, just just one thing? Um, You know, when when I was growing up, and especially through high school and, and even college, you know, I wanted to, I, I think a lot of our uh, headstrong bickering and stuff came from the fact that, like a lot of girls, you know, you just want, you just want independence and stuff like that. And uh, once, I, I think I moved out when I was 24, I got my own apartment in, in Manhattan. And uh, that's, I think, when my mother and I transitioned to becoming friends. 
because we weren't around each other all the time. And, you know, we would do things that friends do. We went to the movies. We, we had lunch and, and things like that. So that was um, being apart brought us, brought us closer together. I'd like that. And it's fortunate where you have that opportunity in your life to be wise enough or in the place to, to make that happen because sometimes some of us have regrets. And I'm, I'm glad you have that opportunity to spend that time with her. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. So this was wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy you, you uh, reached out. And I'm so happy you wrote your tiny love story, my guest. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a we have a, a a small world story, but we're gonna have to save that for the next episode when you come back. Lorraine Duffy Merkel, she's got her third novel coming out entitled "The Last Single Woman in New York City." Her first was "Fat Chick," and back to work she goes. Let alone all the other advertising, commercial work, comedy work, just brilliant. You're pretty much in every publication that's out there, and I hope you continue your work. Thank you so much. I'm Jackie Tantillo, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you. Bye-bye. Give your mom a kiss. <laughs>